Hey folks, it's Marvin Cash. I'm the host of The Articulate Fly, and tonight I'm joined by the editor of Southern Culture on the Fly, David Grossman. Welcome to the show, David. Oh, thanks for having me. Oh no, it's going to be great. And before we get rolling tonight, I want to give a shout out to tonight's sponsor. Uh, tonight we're sponsored by the Texas Fly Fishing and Brew Festival. Uh, the, this event's going to be March 23rd and 24th in Plano, Texas. If you want more information, if you'll just go to the event page on our website at thearticulatefly.com, you can get all the details. Well, David, I always ask all of my guests um, what their earliest fishing memory was. Oh, gosh. Um, it was uh, in Midland, North Carolina. Uh, my family owned a farm. Not that we, we didn't live on the farm. We rented out the house but uh, and the farm as well. But there was a pond on it that my buddies and I used to go fish when we were little kids. And, uh, the first thing I remember catching out of there was a, well, was to me, at least at the, at, at that age was a giant snapper turtle. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that's my, probably my earliest fishing memory Yeah, is yanking on that snapping turtle. Yeah. How old were you? Uh, we, we couldn't have been more than six or seven. Very cool. And, uh, the, the folks that lived on the farm made turtle soup and it was delicious. <laughs> there you go. And so when did you move to the dark side of fly fishing? Um, I started fly fishing in St. Grade. Um, we had an out with an outing club at school and we got to kind of pick our own adventures. And one of them was up to the Davidson. And I just, I really wanted to fly fish and borrowed a rod and a reel from a buddy of mine. His grandfather was really big into it. And started taking him when we were that age and the hatchery section of the Davidson, uh, up by the campground was the first place I ever fished. So very cool. And who were your mentors? Um, you know, it's funny. Uh, I, I got taught a lot of wrong stuff intermittently by various nice people. Um, I also, I'm an, like, I'm an avid reader and once I'm into something, I like fall every book. I read every article. You know, I, I consume as much of the intellectual properties as possible. And so pretty much I, at, at a certain point, I was pretty much teaching myself to fish, um, you know, based on Tom Rosenbauer's books and Dave Whitlock's books and Lefty's books and stuff like that and trying to figure it out that way. Um, when I was older, when I was older, I wound up going to guide school and casting day at guide school. They pretty much told me that I needed to rebuild my entire cast. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, I, and I was already like 30 years old at that point. There's a lot of places and had very, a lot of success catching trout. Um, but yeah, there, I had some bad habits that I picked up that I kind of had to break everything back down and, and start over again. Uh, so. That's funny. What guide school did you go to? Uh, I went to Hubbard's Yellowstone Lodge Guide School in Gardner, Montana. Very cool. And so you graduate from college. Did you start guiding immediately or just kind of fall into it? No, you know, I've been on and off, done a little bit here and there for a while, like for a while during the summers during college and other times. Um, I graduated from college and actually moved to Charlotte, where I know you're at. And I'm from Charlotte originally was down there for about six years. And, uh, I was lucky enough that my parents had a vacation home up near Boone, North Carolina. So I was always fishing up there 
And then um, I wound up keeping, I had a little inflatable boat that me and my buddy split, a two-man pontoon that we bought when we were younger, and we kept that at my parents' place and started floating the tailwaters up in East Tennessee. And that's kind of where I, where I fell in love with everything with, uh, with Tallgan South Holston. Um, but I was in Charlotte for five or six years. And then my wife and I decided, you know, before we had kids, if we were ever going to do anything besides the South, it was time to do it. So we moved out to Colorado for two or three years. And I, I I bounced around between Colorado, Wyoming and Idaho and Montana as much as possible for those years. And then when I moved back, I started guiding full-time uh, in Asheville while I was in graduate school. Gotcha. Yeah, you were at Curtis Wright, right? Yeah, I was the head float guy at Curtis Wright for a while, ran all their, ran all their tailwater trips. Very cool. And so tell, us, tell me a little bit about the inspiration for you and Steve to start Southern Culture on the Fly in 2011. Um, well, Steve and I met actually at Curtis Wright in Biltmore and Hopefully Jeff Curtis isn't listening to this, but, uh, he started coming in and we started hanging out, and, you know, wasting time during the day. He's, Steve, my partner on the magazine is a full-time artist, does really cool abstract modern art, um, that he sells in a lot of galleries around the country. But, uh, so he has, his work day is somewhat flexible. So he started hanging out in the shop and, um, we did, we started fishing together a little bit. He had never fished, uh, fished out of drift boats or anything like that, which is kind of what I enjoy doing most. So I introduced him to the Tennessee tailwaters and we were fishing a bunch together. And I, I was writing for a blog, a couple of different blogs at the time. Um, and, you know, uh, catch magazine and all, and this is fly had been out for a couple of years. So all of a sudden the model of a digital online magazine seemed a little, seemed somewhat viable. Um, and between my writing and Steve's also a great photographer and he also has web design. He does all our web stuff in house and all of our layout stuff in house. So between our two sets of skills, it just seemed like it, the right time to do something like that. Yeah. And, and what about like the niche in the South? Cause I mean, I think, you know, one of the points, you know, was there's really nothing like your magazine, but there really wasn't anyone looking at Southern fly fishing or fishing in general, really. Yeah, man, you know, uh, like growing up fishing in the South and then, you know, fishing out West a decent bit and other places. It, I always found it funny. I, I personally believe the best fly fish in the country come out of the South just because a, you know, our, our fish eat on a 12 month. And I'm talking trout now mainly, but our fish eat 12 months a year. Also our fish are located near huge population centers. So the pressure on them compared to Western fish is in, way more well, just so our fish see so much more pressure so to catch fish around the south consistently you know you can i feel like you can pretty much catch fish anywhere consistently because we have some of the toughest conditions to fish um but the focus on the southeast came from you know like i said i i grew up reading like fishing magazines and when fishing movies started i watched all those and you know anything that had to do with fly fishing that was digital or print or on screen i I consumed and not a whole lot of it was about the South. And, you know, when, when we did get a token article in one of the national magazines, it was always some dude from Connecticut who had gone to the South Holston and got guided. And, you know, he gave the, the, the one, two, three formula for an article on the South Holston. 
Um, so the Drake had been out for a while and the Flyfish Journal, I believe it just come out. I just wanted to, and Steve and I kind of just wanted to see like good writing and good photography for the South because, you know, we think we have such a, and I know we have such a special fishery in this region between the salt water, warm water and trout. And we just never really got the attention. And it wasn't so much about the attention as much as we wanted something aesthetically and intellectually pleasing for the people that lived in this region who kind of are pretty proud of what they got here. Yeah. Yeah. And how did you get the journalism bug? Cause if I remember correctly, you were an econ major undergrad. Yeah, man, I was an economics major at WNL or Washington Lee university. Um, so I built, I built houses for my other gig and I've done real estate development pretty much my whole adult life. Uh, my family has been in it since I was a kid, but, uh, so at the college I went to, no matter what major you were, you were going to learn how to write by the time you graduated. Like even math majors, all the tests were essays, almost. You know, so like you were going to learn one way or another, you were going to learn to write by the time you left there. So I was always a decent business and formal writer, um, but I never really written creatively. Um, I'm an avid, I've always been kind of a voracious reader ever since I was a little kid. So, you know, I was, I've read a lot of authors and read a lot of styles and, you know, I have, I have all kinds of weird references in my head, but I never really put two and two together to write creatively. Um, and it's actually my wife who copy edits the magazine and is the best copy editor that I've ever met in my life. Um, but she's also a great writer. And when we moved back from Colorado, it was during the recession and I really had nothing to do when we got back. Um, she was working full time and I was just kind of trying to figure out what the next step was for about nine months a year. And she was the one who encouraged me she, to start a blog on my own. And she's like, you're kind of funny, you know, and you can write you, I'm sure you can write. Why don't you just write? So I started writing and it was when I started kind of found my own voice to write in and I started writing how I, how I speak and you know, how I always like to think my writing is the same as an interaction with me verbally. You know, if we're sitting around having a beer, I'm going to tell you the story just the way I would write it in the magazine. And that's kind of where my sweet spot is. Um, and it kind of just took off from there. So, but it was completely out of the blue and I didn't find it till later in life. Yeah. Very so. cool. And so, you know, so you're 2011, you sort of see this niche to do a move into the electronic magazine business what was your initial vision for Southern culture on the fly when you started to put it together? I mean, man, initially, I mean, Steve, Steve and I both had never ever been in the magazine business, created a magazine or anything, anything like it. Um, we, uh, we, for a whole year, we just kind of did logos and branding and we went to fly fishing shows with handfuls of stickers and just kind of walked around giving her, giving out stickers before we ever put an issue out. Um, we always just wanted to have fun with it. And, you know, we wanted to be, we wanted to be proud of representing the South and representing the South in the way we do in our magazine. Um, other than that, we're always shocked that it's gotten to where it's gotten. And we have as many rooms as we do. And the people who trust us with their money to advertise actually do, you know, um, it's always a, it's a pleasant surprise every time we put an issue out and people dig it. So, 
Very cool. And so, you know, your magazine, and, and I know this has become a trend in institution, particularly in electronic magazines, to be more photographic. But was that really Steve's influence? Because if I think back about print magazines in the early 2010s, maybe the Drake was a little bit more dedicated to photography than the other ones, but it really wasn't that big a thing. Yeah, man. I mean, before, you know, before the Drake, everything was just grip and grip. Like if you didn't have some someone in the picture smiling, straight arm and a giant fish, the picture get published. Um, I definitely give all the credit to the Drake and the Flyfish Journal and, you know, those type of folks, Steve Duda and Kopi at the Journal and Tom in the early days and, you know, Mueller now, um, where a fish, they kind of made the concept of a fish not even being in the picture was a cool picture, you know, like just a picture of the water, a picture of water and nothing else. Or, you know, a picture of a dude sitting on a tailgate, drinking a beer, putting his waders on, all of a sudden became acceptable photography for media. Um, our thing always was, we knew we were digital. We figured our demographic was going to skew to the younger side, you know, because I don't think 70-year-olds are reading our magazine online, finding it organically. Um, I also tend to feel that people on the younger side of me tend to have very short attention spans. So we, we do make an effort to keep our features, you know, to five to 700 words, just because I think in a digital format, I'd rather the font be a little bit bigger. So it's easier for folks to read on a screen as opposed to cramming a page with a lot of words. And if you're not going to, if you're not going to go down to a small font, you wind up with, like 30 page features and the book just gets uncontrollable on the back end page count wise. So there was a give and a take, you know? Um, but the, the other thing we always wanted to do was, you know, Steve's a, Steve's a great photographer and we've worked with a lot of great photographers and we, we wanted the aesthetic of the magazine to match the, the written content of the magazine as far as impact goes. Yeah, very cool. And, you know, when I think about Southern culture, I always think about, you were talking earlier about logos. I always think about the Mayfly and the Sasquatch. And uh, yeah. how are they born, right? Um, well, so Steve is a pretty great graphic designer as well. We're pretty lucky that we do everything in-house. Um, we, we both are big fans of Sasquatch, Sasquatch lore and all that. So the Sasquatch one was pretty easy. The Mayfly actually came from, oh, what was it? it was a European magazine, Flymage. They had a fly, like a house fly in a circle, just on black and white, which I always thought was a cool image. Um, and then we wound up kind of tweaking it. Um, the Mayfly on the logo is actually a spent sulfur, a picture of a spent sulfur that was on the front of my drift boat that Steve took oh, so many years ago that he turned into that mayfly. Very. So that is a real, that is a real spent sulfur spinner on the front of my boat that, that Steve just kind of tweaked until it became that logo. Very cool. And when did the clouds or Sasquatch come about? Uh, the, the, that thing we ran a lot, like a long time ago. Yeah. Our, you know, the Bob Clouser Sasquatch. Oh man. Well, I love Bob Clouser. Clouser minnows are perhaps my favorite fly of all time. 
Um, and, you know, he's up from, like, Pennsylvania, Susquehanna region. You know, we, we met his son at a musky tournament, and Bob Clouser's son looks exactly like Bob. I mean, you can't – from more than 30 feet away, you can't tell the two apart. Um, we, at the musky tournament, someone started calling him Tandem Clousers. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we, we, we did one of Kelly Gallup uh, crossed with a tiger on one of those, you know, like Snapchat apps where you can put animal faces on people. Yeah. And so we, we kind of were on this kick of, you know, poking fun at big names. And uh, we love Bob and we love Sasquatch. So it honestly was done at the last minute and we needed to fill a page and just started spitballing ideas. And that's what came for us. Very, very cool. So in the early days of the magazine, kind of what were your biggest and most unexpected challenges? Um, you know, I mean, I guess we've been kind of lucky, you know, like, it just kind of built momentum and built momentum. Um, and definitely like getting over the inertia of getting your name out there and establishing the brand um, as something that people want to check out. You know, like something interesting, some like at it's almost at this point, like what the challenge is, is like coming up with fresh content because we are limited. We try to limit ourselves mostly to the Southeastern content. So, you know, you don't want to do the same story over and over. And if you just kind of go on a fisheries focus, there aren't enough fisheries. I mean, we have a diverse fisheries, but if you're just like doing fishery profiles, it's not sustainable over a long period. So we've really kind of had to start thinking, you know, like the way we craft a story doesn't net, I don't necessarily i try to tie it geographically to somewhere but the, the geographic location isn't the main character in the store anymore you know when we when we first started out we could go to arkansas and write something about how cool arkansas was well i can only write how cool arkansas is you know over a three-year period before i need to write something else tied to arkansas on the periphery but has a different focus than something we've done before no, it makes a lot of sense. And I know a lot of the print magazines have fallen into exactly that rut, right? Yeah, man. You know, it's, it's I don't know. We, we definitely, we love having people who are new to fly fishing or discovering fly fishing get into the magazine. It's awesome. But we've always tried to write it a little bit more from a perspective of the guy that kind of is a little bit more in the know than the beginner. So you've got to give those people something different because they've read the same article about the same place 20 different times at this point, you know? No, I'm, I'm with you. And so as you're going down the path in the early 2010s, when did you and Steve know the magazine was going to be a success? Um, honestly, uh, we, we went to the international fly tackle dealer show, IFTD, um, the first time and people actually in the, within the industry, knew who we were and said how much they liked the magazine. And we sat there in awe and we wound up booking some major manufacturers off of that first, that first big industry show. And that's kind of when we realized, wow, we, uh, we, we might be onto something, so to speak. 
Very cool. And so you put out four issues a year and you say you do everything in house, but can you share with the listeners kind of how you and Steve make the sausage? Yeah, man. Um, it's, it's super unimpressive. And if we were actually professionals, it would probably be much more streamlined. Do six issues a year. But um, so we just put an issue out on Monday. You should all go check it out. out it's, there and it's, very, it's very cool. And uh, you give winter a good lashing. Thank you. Thank you. I'm over winter by a long stretch. Um, but uh, so I like for the next, so for the next issue, I'll start putting together an edit plan and we do, we do take submissions. If anyone out there, you know, wants to submit writing or photography or a story idea, please email us. We're always looking for good stuff. Um, but I'll usually have one or two submissions kind of in the bag. Um, that I've gotten throughout the year that I've kind of spaced. And then I try to take care of one feature myself writing. And then Steve tries to take care of one feature himself photography. So, you know, right now we're in the planning stages of what we're going to do for all that, what, who we're going to assign all the departments to, um, what poor friend of ours we're going to rope into it this time. Uh, and then, you know, we kind of work on it throughout the three-month period. And I say that, and usually about a month out, Steve gives me a call and says, you know, it's a month out and we haven't done anything right. <laughs> and I say, yes, I know that. I said, And then about three weeks out, he's like, calls me and he says, Dave, you know, I'm starting to freak out about this. We're really behind. I said, I know, but it's not time to freak out yet. And like on this past issue, it was about two weeks. Steve called me, he's like, is it time to freak out? I said, yes, it is time to freak out. And then we bear down and get everything done. And quite literally, the the issue is put together on the Saturday and Sunday before the Monday it comes out. Um, I am a horrible procrastinator with my writing. And if when I have a heavy writing load, I might be writing a feature on Sunday morning. Yeah. Um, so, so was your so, trip? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so was your trip to by Gavin? The, by the grace of God that it gets out when, it, when we told our advertisers it would get out, and we've never been late. Yeah, it's amazing, so right? Yeah, because you got hard dates in your media kit, and so I, I assume uh, was your trip to Gatlinburg slightly panic-induced? Uh, well, my so the trip to Gatlinburg was supposed to be Rand Hartz, um, who lives here in Asheville, who's our staff photographer. Well, Steve moved to Florida, and he, we used to do all our stories together where he would take pictures and I would write. Once Steve moved to Florida, I also take photos for stories um, sometimes, but I find it hard to take photos and write a story. I, if at all possible, I'd rather have someone else take the pictures if I'm writing or vice versa. Um, so Rand was supposed to take the pictures, which he did. Alan Gillespie, the owner of Three Rivers Angler, who I'm calling out on this podcast right now, Alan, was supposed to write it. And a week out, I called him. He said he hadn't written it yet. Um, and he told me he had a soccer tournament with his kids that weekend. So I started deciding I was going to write it about Wednesday. And I wrote that one on uh, Sunday morning <laughs> before it came out. <laughs> Very cool. So you're in your eighth year now. How has the magazine changed over the eight-year period it's been in existence? Um, I th You know, I think the main way is kind of – it's it's expanded with our you know the expansion of our circle of friends, um, you know all the people we've met, all the people we've hung out with, 
all the people we've worked with, you know, their like their print on the magazine is is just as indelible as Steve and I's, you know, no matter who it was. Like we've worked with, for example, Lewis Cahill a bunch, and whenever Lewis does a story for us, you know, it's it's very Lewis. And with Steve and I doing so much stuff ourselves, we've just gotten to work with so many more cool people over the years and kind of kind of expanded the voice of it, I guess, to a certain degree. Um, and yeah, I guess, you know, cool people want to, cool people want to help us out these days. So and really talented people and Paul Puckett, you know, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention him, Mike Benson, who writes for us. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of people out there that we're, we're very privileged to work with. Very cool. And as the magazine and you've gotten a little bit older, how has your writing and approach to the magazine changed? Man, my writing is a, is an ever evolving struggle. You know, some days it slows and some days it's like getting blood out of a stone. Um, I, uh, this past issue, you know, I was, I, I, I felt like it was some of my, like the bass piece and the, uh, Island piece. I just had fun with and at those those two were the this issue was the most fun I've had writing in a while um but I think it's like that for anyone who writes you know like sometimes like you just that idea is there and it doesn't even you don't even have to worry about writing it because as soon as you sit down to a keyboard it's just going to get itself out other times I'll sit in front of a keyboard for three four days just blank and <laughs> trying to figure out the angle you know, once you have the angle of something, it's a little bit easier, but getting that right angle is where, where the, uh, I guess where the technical skill is involved. Yeah. And it sounds like you write when the spirit moves you or that you try to write that way. You don't kind of have a set block of time periodically to sit down and say, I'm going to write today. Man, I'm a procrastination writer. I got to be up against the deadline. <laughs> like if I have three weeks to write something, I'll write it the last two days, you know? Um, I've had pieces published other places in like the journal and other stuff. And I've written it the day before, even with a good two month lead time, you know? Um, although I don't, I don't like to, I'm not, I'm not the type of person who goes back and edits and edits and edits and edits my own stuff. Um, it would probably be useful for me to do that as my wife tells me when she edits my stuff, but I, I edit as I go. I don't ever leave a sentence until it's a, pretty much exactly the way I want it. Um, so I don't spend as much time on the back end as I do in Flagrado, I, I guess. Very interesting. Yeah. It's i uh, I'm sitting here while you're telling me this, I'm having this flashback to the guys I went to college with that were those last minute guys that would freak me out, uh, writing the paper in the last day or going to a Duke basketball game and road tripping back from New Jersey, writing a 20 page paper in the back of the car on a laptop. Oh yeah, dude, that was me a lot of times and I still graduated. So my favorite though, is one time, uh, I was trying to write this philosophy paper. My buddy was in my room drinking and he was like, dude, I'm a philosophy major. He was like two years older than me. He's like, I'll just write it for you. But one condition, you're not allowed to look at it before you turn it in. <laughs> I did not take him up on the offer. So. Yeah, du duly noted. So uh, yeah. talk a little bit. I mean, I mean, you guys have had a huge impact on the fishing community in the Southeast. 
Uh, as you look back over the eight years, why don't you tell us what you see as the editor of the magazine and kind of what the magazine's done to the magazine culture, but the fishing culture in the South as well. I mean, man, you know, I honestly, I think the fishing culture in the South is just as vibrant as I found it when I started the magazine. You know, um, I think we, I think we have an amazing fishing culture in the South. I just, I'm just, I always thought of us as just kind of a nice way to throw a little bit of recognition on it. You know, um, we, we definitely, I, I'm a big believer in fly fishing is community and community is fly fishing. The two don't exist without each other. You know, um, we've been really proud and really humbled by the magazine being able to be a small vehicle, I guess, for some of that community, like, you know, showing itself. Yeah. But, it, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, no, go ahead. No, I was going to say, so it sounds like you kind of intentionally tried to design the community, a community component into the magazine when you were putting it together. Yeah, man. You know, I think I, you know, I grew up on the Southeast fly fishing forum, I guess, you know, and then there was the trade forum and all of a sudden like the internet allowed, like gave you access to all these other weirdos where you didn't know their weirdos existed that were into the same things you were. So I always came at it from that aspect. Like my favorite things about fly fishing are my fly fishing friends, and the dudes I fish with and the dudes I hang out with and guys around the country that we don't see each other for two years, but you know, we wound up being in the same place on the same river at the same time. And no time has passed from the last time we saw each other. The relationships for me are, I know it's cliche, but I'm all about community and the relationships and fly fishing. I don't think other people, there's anyone else in the world that gets me the way fly fishing people get me, you know? No, that makes a lot of sense. And I, and I see you doing a lot of stuff in Asheville around, you know, in terms of potluck dinners and beer ties and sponsoring events and really giving back too. Yeah, man, you know, I'm, it's, if we, if we can do anything to help the scene out and, you know, make sure it's thriving in our own community, the, the more the merrier, you know? So we do, yeah, we do a tying night the last Tuesday of every month here in Asheville and they do a, and Steve does a tying night down in Florida, um, Andy down in Melbourne, um, Harry Goods flesh up, helps them out with that one. Um, and then we've done stuff with project healing waters before stuff with TU before, um, we're the five rivers program at TU. I just got an email about today. They're putting out a digital magazine next year for the first time. And we were talking about helping with that. Um, but we're a small community when you talk about fly fishermen. I mean, like it is a niche within a niche within a niche, you know? So if, if, if we aren't there for each other, there's not going to be anybody else there for us. Yeah. And there's a lot of, and there's a lot of stuff coming up that we all need to be present for and all be a unified front for if we want to take care of what's important to us as a fly fishing community. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. This kind of Hatfield and McCoy stuff that we see in the fly fishing community really, really bugs me too. Um, you mentioned challenges. What do you see on the horizon that we need to be vigilant for if we want to look after our sport? I mean, access is pretty big. I mean, here in the Southeast, it's kind of the same old story, you know, like river access. 
um, pollution, water pollution. Um, I, I know anyone who lives in the South knows someone that some house is straight piping into a river instead of into a sewer system or a septic system. Um, and I mean, I, I don't want to sound, I don't want to get anyone, anyone riled up. And I am, I tend, I tend to be a progressive liberal just so everybody knows, but I think, uh, climate change is going to hit us pretty hard in the South and not in a good way. Um, so, you know, anything we can do at this point to, to limit the trauma, I think it's time for all of us to take a hard look in the mirror and start thinking about doing. Yeah. I mean, and it's an important thing. I mean, particularly kind of in that Southern sporting culture, it's multi-generational, right? So, I mean, you know, I think we, if we want this for our kids and our grandkids, we really need to kind of pay attention. Um, and, you know, protect the resource and look after, our, you know, look after it for future generations. Yeah, man, you know, I mean, and it's definitely hit me more since I had my own children and start thinking about their future. But like, when I think about what fly fishing has given me in my life and what space of in, in my life that it takes up and what important block of my life it is, you know, I can't even imagine my kids not at least having the opportunity to have that same, the same experience as I did. Um, so, you know, whatever you can do to make sure that happens is probably a, a good path to pursue. Very cool. Well, listen on tw- in 2019, what, what can folks expect to see on the horizon with the magazine? Um, well, you know, we're going into our ninth year. Um, we're kind of talking about maybe 10 years and seeing what re-examining where we are. Um, we are going to be talking to some publishers, uh, book publishers about putting together an anthology of scoff over those 10 years sometime in the next couple years. Um, but other than that, probably more of the same and maybe a little, maybe a little different. Very cool. And so you talked about 10 years, are you kind of thinking about maybe doing something different in 10 years or passing the torch, or is it just a, a, a nice number that's divisible by 10 or five and you want to think about it and then keep moving on? Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't think no decisions have been made. Um, I don't think we'd ever pass golf off to someone else just because I think Steve and I's voice is the magazine. And I think it would be weird if it, for the magazine to exist without our voice in it. Um, to a certain degree, just because it's always been kind of a, I don't know, my, my wife told me this last issue was the most self-indulgent issue we've ever done. And I kind of started thinking about really the whole magazine is a, is an indulgent endeavor for Steve and I, it's what we, it's what we want to do when we think it's funny and how we want to, how we want to portray it. But thinking of someone else doing it, I, I'm not sure. Um, but you know, who knows we, there was a little bit of a talk of maybe us going to a print magazine format, um, on top of the digital a while back. Um, that's not in the works right now, but who knows? Um, but we'll see what happens. You know, 10, I feel like there's a creative arc for any creative project, you know, a beginning, a middle and an end and just naturally. So I, I would hate to push skull. Uh, I don't want to be 60 and making dick and fart jokes and wearing a flat bri- and wearing a flat brim hat telling the kids how cool I am, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Fair, fair enough. Anything maybe on the video front 
short film or something like that, maybe? Um, yeah, you know, um, I've, I've got friends who do video stuff, and we've been kicking around the idea um, over various campfires over the past couple of years about doing some sort of Southeastern movie, kind of a Southeastern showcase movie. Um, that might be in the works after that, man. I get, you know, I got two kids under the age of 10. I got, I build houses full time and I do the magazine every other time I have. So we'll see what happens, but you know, either way it's, it's still fun. And, uh, I wouldn't be doing it if it wasn't because no one's getting rich doing anything in fly fishing. Yeah, so. no, I, I agree with that. Um, before you go tonight, why don't you uh, share with us your favorite Southern culture on the Skid song? Uh, I'm a big fan of uh, banana pudding. There you go. You heard it here, folks. Um, you, you know, I can't imagine, and you'd have to have been living under a rock for the last seven or eight years not to know how to find your stuff. But just in case we've got some new people out there, you want to tell folks where to find you? Yeah, man. Um, we're, if you just go to southernculturonthefly.com, Everything we have is on that homepage from the magazine to our Instagram account and everything else. Um, and also we have our subscriptions there. It is a free subscription, you know, so if you hit subscribe, put in your email address, the only time we email you is when the issue comes out. We don't email you every week or every day or anything like that. So please subscribe. It, it helps our advertisers weren't giving us more money. Very cool. Yeah, guys, you should definitely check it out. Well, David, I appreciate you spending some time with me this evening. Well, man, always a pleasure. And uh, get up here and fish sometime. Absolutely. I'm working on it. Um, well, listen, folks, everyone have a great evening. I appreciate you listening. Would love it if you give me a review in iTunes. Um, you can find us anywhere podcasts are found. If you want kind of the easy way to do it, if you sign up for the mailing list, we'll send you an email once a week with all of our blog posts and all of our episodes. Everybody have a great night. Tight lines. Have a good one, David. Oh, you too, man.